On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for an episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll that's bound to be fun. Ray Coob here. I'm Marcus Goldman as well. This and every episode brought to you by Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Grown here, sewn here. From Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro, serving since 2014. And this episode is all about Genesis. The first book of the Bible? (laughs) You beat me to it. <laughs> well, this is the balanced history of rock and roll, so we're going to do Genesis to Exodus. <laughs> Not Revelation, we're just going to Exodus. <laughs> we do the first phase of the band Genesis here on the Imbalance history. At least we're starting at the beginning of this band that has come to mean so much and spawned so much amazing music in the forms of solo acts and what have you quite an impressive music history and collectively a group of lads who have profoundly influenced the direction of rock and roll over the last 50 years and to think that it all started at a charterhouse school back in the day is pretty wild just kids playing in a band right yep but they had big visions they had artistic ideas and they were very intent on making those ideas happen at the beginning genesis was peter gabriel tony banks and anthony phillips his nickname was ant you know like south philly ant (laughs) mike rutherford was on bass then as now and the drummer was chris stewart who was the original drummer, who didn't make it to the starting line, really. But he's had a pretty good life anyway, even though he didn't stay in the band. And that's just part of the story when we're talking about Genesis on the Imbalanced History. I suppose we should talk about the characters, Marcus. Definitely. The characters are key to this story because the characters provide the chemistry, and that chemistry is what made the music. One of the ringleaders... Peter Gabriel, kind of an architect for both the vocal stylings and the lyrical content. And while others would greatly contribute, you gotta give, as Phil Collins calls him, Anthony George Banks, a pretty good amount of the credit. The innovations Tony Banks adds to the already growing synthesizer and keyboard palette, if you will, and he becomes an innovator as the sound and technology change. I guess a lot of people probably think Phil Collins was in the band at the beginning, huh? I think so. But the drum seat early on was kind of a dicey position, right? Kind of spinal tappy in a way, but without all (laughs) the gore. (laughs) I'm talking about a drummer that did not explode, but did do other amazing things. His name was Chris Stewart. He was the original drummer. I think he plays on one track on the debut album. Oh, by the way, we're going to talk about all the albums, too up to the departure of Peter Gabriel here on this episode. The thing is, after his stint in Genesis, he traveled and wrote and became a farmer. 
in Spain, and he still lives there, last we heard. It's so wild that he just decided that this wasn't for him, and he had other ambitions that took over, including traveling the world and becoming a farmer and writing books and doing some pretty cool things with his life in a different way. But it's wonderful that he found his path, too. But before setting out on that path, I'm going to lay down some drums on one song, Silent Sun, and then turn it over to John Silver, who recorded the rest of that debut album from Genesis to Revelation, which is what the title's supposed to be for this episode. But, you know, it's us. (laughs) So, (laughs) Silver's in for this first album, and it's the rest of the guys, the founding guys together. It's okay. I didn't really remember liking it but i now appreciate it more than i probably did for years whenever i would hear songs from it it set the tone it laid the foundation of what they were trying to do as an art rock band as a progressive band again at the very beginning and what we're seeing now marcus if you think about it is a pattern of progressive bands who kind of start out in a different mode before finding their groove that's true I found it to be very similar to the early Pink Floyd in the hippie, folky, poppy groove where you would hear these pop songs, but then all of a sudden there'd be this left turn musically in there and you'd be like, what? And I think that this early album definitely set the stage for where they were going in the future. But again, they wanted to be a pop band at the beginning. And so they attempted at writing these poppy songs and you could hear the progressive music. You could hear the soul in the horns and in the string arrangements that were in the background. You could hear the jazzy and the blues and classical influences in those early songs as well. But it was a commercial flop, and maybe because everything was all over the place musically, there was no cohesion like you see in the later Genesis albums. A band still finding its legs, you could say. Mm-hmm. When you get to the second album, Marcus, Trespass, you're starting to feel the textures. The softer side of Gabriel's voice is an example. The variety of tones in Tony Banks' playing. Songs like Dusk or The Knife with a brilliant flute. Nobody credited for that. I don't know who laid that down. And Tony really rules as he begins to set the soundscapes for what will be Genesis. His piano intro on Visions of Angels is absolutely gorgeous. That really stood out to me as I was listening back to it. And in the song Stagnation, I also heard like that jug band Dead influence along with like the early stylings of Traffic and Yes in there. I found all these similarities between these sounds from all of these bands who were in the progressive scene and touring together and it was really fascinating and like The Knife was a really sweet song but I think it was all over the place as far as an album goes and again not as cohesive as the upcoming albums would be but if you look at songs like Looking for Someone I feel like that song is a step closer to where they were headed Looking for Someone I guess I'm doing that Trying to find a memory in a dark room Dirty man, you're looking like a Buddha I know you well Yeah Keep on a straight line I don't believe I can Trying to find a needle in a haystack Chilly wind, you're piercing like a dagger 
again You see the sunlight through the trees To keep you warm In peaceful shades of green Yet in the darkness of my mind Damascus was in Less folky. Or White Mountain yeah. or Visions of Angels. These songs are feeling like Genesis is about to feel. Let's talk about Anthony Phillips. Ant, brilliant player, everyone agreed. Didn't possess the feels that the rest of the band did in their playing. And he says that he quit because of stress and unhappiness about touring. But, you know, maybe it just didn't feel right. And the other guys, they almost broke up. Gabriel Banks and Rutherford. But they decided to carry on, get a new drummer. Someone who was more their equal, I guess you could say. Someone who could write. Now, there's a guy named Ronnie Carroll, or Carl. I can't figure out which way to pronounce it. But he started out in that band, Flaming Youth, with Phil Collins. Phil leaves and gets the job in Genesis. And that begins Ronnie's association with them, but also with other people like producer Dave Henschel or uh, Lulu or Stephen Bishop or Eric Clapton, Gary Brooker. He worked with all those people through the years. And he also worked with Genesis. And it started in a band called Flaming Youth. So Phil Collins is in as the new drummer, and they're having a hard time finding a replacement for Phillips. I mean, he was a pretty good player, you know? They weren't just going to pick anybody. So they decided to do a tour as a four-piece, and it wasn't really working for anybody. From all of reports, people were feeling like it just didn't vibe. And then there were some equipment issues, you know? It's always equipment issues in the early days of Progressive that add stress. So along comes Mick Bernard. He joins the group after a friend of theirs told him about him. And they all thought it was going to be fine, but they quickly realized that he wasn't up to the standard of the other people that they were looking at or Anthony Phillips. And now comes the famous ad. There's always an ad in one of the big magazines, Melody Maker in this case, Steve Hackett, answering an ad in 1970. The ad read, Imaginative guitarist writer seeks involvement with receptive musicians determined to drive beyond existing stagnant music forms. Well, that set the tone, and you know what? Our boy Hackett, man, he really, really shines when he joins Genesis. I have a more full appreciation of him. I can't even explain it. Just listening to the albums in their entirety again gave me a fuller appreciation for him and everything that he meant to the band. And he steps up to the plate with Phil Collins now on drums on Nursery Crime as the band begins to make headway beyond their little scene. This album was the first album I bought by Genesis in the late 80s, early 90s when CDs were coming out. I had always loved Genesis, but I never owned their records. I think my brother had a couple of their records in his collection, so I would just Uh pop his on. But I had heard about Nursery Crime with Peter Gabriel from a few people and was like, I gotta check it out. And a friend of mine had it and played it and I'm like, I gotta get this record. The first I heard of them was after one of their Tower Theater shows and the buzz was about how amazing the music was and the costuming and Gabriel dressed as a flower with his face sticking out from the pedals. And I just went, what are they talking about? And I wouldn't hear them for a while. Musical Box is obviously one of the favorites that fans immediately were drawn to. But I like Return of the Giant Hogweed and Seven Stones as well from Nursery Crime. And it just feels like this genesis that we love. The beginning of it, really, even though it's the third album.
Indeed. Return of the Giant Hogweed is my favorite tune on the record, without a doubt. I love Seven Stones as well as uh, Harlequin. And they're all really beautiful songs. And the chemistry is so apparent in this album. And hearing Hackett and Banks mixed in with the rest of the band makes such a huge difference. That's not a knock on Phil or... Mike Rutherford or Peter Gabriel or, you know, anybody in the band, but their component to the music is so fundamentally important. I was listening to this album with a completely different ear than I had ever listened to it before, and I really noticed a lot of the little things that Hackett and uh, Banks were doing throughout the record, and just blown away. This is the album where Tony Banks really begins to innovate his keyboard sound and taking things to otherworldly levels. It's great stuff. By 1972, Marcus, the vibe was palpable, even for dopey 14-year-olds like me who were just listening to FM as a new thing. And then one night I heard it, the keyboard sound of Tony Banks. Watch her disguise. And I think after it was over, probably Tearson said what it was, and I just went, wow, I've heard of those guys. Why have I never heard this before? Next thing I knew, I was catching it every time. It seemed like he played it. And I didn't really realize for a long time, I didn't really grasp Supper's Ready because I didn't have the album, you know? The importance of that song in the Genesis Pantheon, immeasurable. Walking across the city room, I turn the television off. Sitting beside you, I look into your eyes As the sound of motor cars fades in the night time I swear I saw your face change It didn't seem quite right And it's... Hello, babe, with your guardian eyes so blue
It's a fan faith. It's called for every night. Ask Steve Hackett, right? He's been doing the seconds out tour. <laughs> <laughs> Takes up most of side two. And I got to tell you, nobody complains. There's a little Hackett, you know, Horizons instrumental. And then here comes Supper Kids. Oh, yeah. And when Supper comes on, ain't nobody moving. Just laying on that floor, <laughs> laying on that shag carpet and chilling. <laughs> the headphones on. <laughs> Quick Foxtrot album note, John Hackett, brother of Steve, adding guitar to Get Him Out by Friday. Another favorite from Foxtrot from Genesis. It's all about the first phase of the band Genesis on this week's episode, Genesis to Exodus. And coming up, Marcus, as we head into the second part of this episode, it becomes evident that there's going to be a split. and Peter Gabriel's going to go his own way. Let's pause for the cause, come back and talk about that and explore the music that took Genesis to untold heights that they thought might be the end until it wasn't. That's what's next on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's fall, and I know, Marcus, that you've got a ton of anecdotal stories about your feet and riding and running and all that stuff that you do in the fall. And I know bold foot socks are part of your regiment, right? Absolutely. They wick moisture off your feet and keep them dry. I do wear the Boldfoot socks when I bike, and never, ever have I had swampy feet. And I've ridden on almost a 100-degree heat index day, and my feet right. weren't this swampy. Summer especially, so, right? yeah, I really like what they do. And another bonus is they're American-made. Boldfoot Socks is a company that uh, Josh got into because he did a 100K thing. Where, who could, Man, who has time for that, man? He's amazing. So he goes and does this 100K in these Boldfoot Socks, and the socks perform so well, he believes, and he's right, that these socks are really going to revolutionize footwear for people who work out and ride, especially uh, someone like you who rides a lot on their on their bike. And let's not forget, Josh did that like hundred mile run in the Nevada desert. That what? is gnarly and tough. And he donates portions of his sales to military charities, which is awesome. So go check out their amazing variety of colors and styles. Great socks, and you can find them all at boldfoot.com. Thanks to them for their support of the podcast. As always, Boldfoot Socks, American-grown, American-sewn. So much has been happening this year and changing at Crooked Eye Brewery, our sponsor for a long time now, Marcus. Since 2014, they've been pouring the cure for what ails you, but then they added craft cocktails. Then they added ciders. And recently, they opened the Crooked Eye Kitchen and Salty Vets Barbecue being served at the premises. You used to have to bring something with you. Now just bring your appetite. The long-term business plan of Crooked Eye has been very smart. Whatever they were going to do before the pandemic had to change drastically, and they've made the adjustments. And as we've slowly opened up, they've slowly continued to add and add and create more. And it's much to the delight of the people going in there all the time, because like you've said, every night's a party, a different kind of party over That's at Crooked Eye. It's and a random party. what the music is, like the Blues Jam or the second Tuesday of the month with my vinyl night, which is anything you want it to be. 
the Crooked Eye Band and all the other performers who make it fun, Mafia, all performing. Check it all out. And the way to find out about who's playing when is on their Facebook. That's really the best way to keep up, but the website too, I guess. So if you're looking for a place to go, make a plan, grab a friend, meet at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro, serving you since 2014. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Back for more Genesis to Exodus on the imbalanced history of rock and roll, Ray and Marcus. And boy, they really had it going in 1972 into 1973 as work began on what would become selling England by the pound. The band was taking time to get it right. During the time they were recording selling England by the pound, Charisma Records released a King Biscuit Flower Hour live recording from their Free Trade Hall Manchester show and their De Montfort Hall show in Leicester in February of 73. And the reason they did that is to keep Genesis fresh and they also wanted a budget live album for the people to have access to while they were recording Selling England by the Pound. Kind of bought some time while the band was busy getting the whole thing right for what would be a huge album for genesis like so many bands marcus they needed a guide in in the studio this time he was a pretty cool engineer he'd worked with people like jethro tull and toots and the maytals and he really seemed to get the vibe they were going for on this album this is genesis at their prime all i can tell you is we heard music on the radio from this album and i didn't actually own it for a few years after that. I no longer have my vinyl copy. It has been absconded with by my son, Eric, who has (laughs) developed a love of progressive rock, so I can't really fault him for that. Right? Bring it back, son. Bring it back. Daddy needs it. I've got the fucking CD. I'm good. (laughs) But can we talk about the first side of this album? Dancing with the Moonlit Night might be the quintessential Peter Gabriel vocal delivery of all the stuff he's done. And it's certainly one of my favorite performances in his Genesis years. Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes. It lies with me, cried the queen of maybe. For her merchandise, he traded in. 
his prize Paper late Cried a voice in the crowd mm. Old man dies The note he left Was signed Old Father Thames It seems he's drowned Selling England By the pound the song's incredible. I got so excited when it came on when I was re-listening to this album, and right away I just was like, oh my God, this is Genesis. This is them. It also seemed to uh, give us a feel for what we would get from Peter Gabriel after he left Genesis, but not knowing that he was going to leave Genesis. I remember hearing, I know what I like in your wardrobe, and thinking, holy shit, they've done it. I wasn't sure exactly what they'd done, but I think they knew. Firth of Fifth, More Fool Me. What a great side of music. Any band, any era, any genre. Those four songs, back to back to back to back, I'll put it up against just about anything that ever came out. And as far as side two of the album, Marcus, Battle of Epping Forest is quirky and cool. And After the Ordeal kind of like is a like sorbet for the palate, kind of clears everything out for the cinema show. The centerpiece, really, of this album. Ah, great days. I remember meeting my friend Hal at college at Kutztown, and he was playing this album. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to get along with this guy, right? That's <laughs> yeah. how you thought about things. When you <laughs> like you walking into somebody's dorm room and hearing the English beats, like, oh, yeah, you and me are going to be pals. Oh, same absolutely, kind of thing, you know? totally. But by the time I discovered them and went away to college, this period we're talking about, they had already broken up. Gabriel felt like he was part of the machine, and that ran counter to who he was as an artist and as a singer, and I think as a person, too. At the end of the tour, where the lamb lies down on Broadway, he informed the band, that's it for me. They didn't get it. He was reprioritizing. He'd had a child. None of them had yet. And you know how much that changes your priority system in your life. Oh, absolutely. Also, Steve Hackett mentioned at this time that members were going through divorces, members were getting married, so everybody had all of these things happening, and it was causing strain within the confines of the band as well. But the backdrop to all of that was an epic for all time. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Great songs and vignettes, interludes, and masterpieces all strung together over four sides. The Carpet Crawl, best represented on the Seconds Out album, I'm just saying. Back in NYC, In the Cage. These are the highlights for me, but the best part is to just put it on and let it play. The Lamb. Except if you have it on record, you got to get up and flip the record over. 
Goddamn! Every time he had to do it twice. Had to change and, the record, then flip it a second time. And if I'm not mistaken, double albums had side one and side four, and side two and side three on the two records. Is that correct? Like you'd see an album? It varied. Was, yes. It varied because sometimes it would be like you could play one and two stacked, and then yep. flip them and play three and four. Sometimes not. So, but I'll tell you one thing. No eight tracks for such an artistic masterpiece as The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway from Genesis. <laughs> Imagine the changes on that. Oh, man. It became official in August of 75. There was all kinds of speculation about what was going to happen. There have been rumors about other projects, film, and literary, all kinds of things. Because Peter was thinking outside the box. He didn't want to be caught in that corporate rock box that he saw was already happening inside something as freeform as progressive rock, right? True. Now, a lot of the things he was talking about when he decided to leave Genesis didn't come to fruition. But what did come to fruition was his solo career, which is legendary in its own right. Those first four solo records of his are magnificent. The three self-titled records with the uh, wild pictures that are distorted and altered, just fantastic. And the song's powerful. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier about Gabriel having a child, none of the other guys having it. You know, Tony Banks actually said at the time, you know, he grew up a little faster than the rest of us, really. And his priorities did shift. So he understood it wasn't as cantankerous as it could have been, I guess is what I'm getting around to. And as someone who quickly got over it when I heard that first Peter Gabriel solo record and got on board with what both entities were going to do, I also misunderstood kind of how the division and the change came. And I never realized that there were actually this article I found on musicalbrick.com, Mark. This is really great because it's the seven occasions when Peter Gabriel sang Genesis songs in public after leaving the group in 1975. That's the long title of the article. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Number one. His 1977 solo tour, it wasn't long at all. He played back in NYC 61 times and Lamb 19 times on that tour. Wow. Hey, they were his songs. He didn't have a whole lot yet, you know? (laughs) He needed some filler. Yeah, classic filler. (laughs) When he did the 78 solo tour, he played the Lamb 54 times on that tour. So it's not really seven times. It's like seven incidents of where, you know, Gabriel remet his own music from Genesis. But a lot of people really see him as the 80s era Peter Gabriel who didn't play any Genesis songs when it became a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love this. You know what the next time was, number three? I would say in the late 90s. 1978, it was a Genesis tour. Peter joins his band on stage in Madison Square Garden to do I Know What I Like. Do you remember ever hearing anything about that? No. Me either. <laughs> That's why I jumped ahead so far. <laughs> Dude, it's on YouTube. <laughs> Don't go too far ahead on this one. 1979, on his solo tour, he plays the Lamb twice on this tour, including one time when Phil Collins joins him at the Reading Festival. There's got to be footage of that somewhere. I'm looking at it right now. Very nice. In 1982, it's the first time that Gabriel plays a full concert with Genesis since his departure, and it was organized to raise funds for money he had lost during his first WOMAD concerts. The guy's actually helping Peter out in a tight spot. Whoa. You only got to fast forward the next year for a show, Steve Hackett, announcing there's going to be a special guest to help raise money for the uh, Tadworth Children's Hospital and towards the end of the show. Peter Gabriel joins him for Here Comes the Flood. 
That's so cool that they were able to remain friendly enough to do that type of stuff. Also, Rutherford comes on stage for a slow, incomplete rendition of Salisbury Hill, playing a different key. And the last one involves Sting. You gotta figure, you know, they did the Rock, Paper, Scissors tour, and something about the last night, and trading riffs on each other's songs, you know, one of those last nights of the tour type things. So. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Edmonton. 2016. So a long time between Genesis songs there. That was where the perception was built that I'm not playing. Like there was some kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It really wasn't, as it turns out. Just different directions. And when you hear those solo albums of the 70s into the 80s for Gabriel, you Mm -hmm. understand fully. He was just feeling a different thing all the way around. And when we get around to talking about those first four albums, as you mentioned, we really should consider the concept that someone put forth in the last couple of years of those four albums, three, maybe four albums being a concept, kind of a, an album story cycle. Whatever. Oh, absolutely. You know, hey, there's things to look at when we do the imbalanced history of rock and roll here on the podcast. I got to talk to you about one thing. As we're waving goodbye to St. Peter Gabriel on his way off to do his thing, right? You know, the band had to continue. And the next part of the next phase is who's going to sing? And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that. But it turns out the guy who was playing drums was a pretty good singer all along, right? He did a lot of the backing vocals with Peter Gabriel throughout that time. So obviously they knew that he could sing. And we were going to find out in the later years how well he could sing as well. When we do the next phase of Genesis history, it will include the departure of Steve Hackett and two absolute MVPs joining the road band. You know, with Phil focusing on the vocals, they needed somebody who could play drums like nobody's business. And that's Chester Thompson. His pedigree, go look him up if you don't know. You know who Frank Zappa is and Weather Report. I think that's all you need to know, but he played with so many great people. An incredible drummer, all styles, all kinds of power. And he was the driving force for a long time back there when Phil would go down front. And having the two of them together playing, just remember, Phil Collins is a pretty damn good drummer himself. Those two together on songs? Holy shit. (laughs) Now, the other thing is, as part of the next phase, when Hackett leaves, they need somebody who can play guitar. And Rutherford starts playing some guitar, but not as well as Daryl Marks. Starmer, ladies and gentlemen, Daryl became part of the touring backbone. As soon as Hackett left, they found him and plugged him in. He stayed there on and off as they went on and off all through the years. And one of the great guitar players, Daryl Starmer. Now, for me, Marcus, you're wondering, why is he bringing them up? Because it's kind of pissed me off for decades now that they were never made part of the official band. Without them, the band might not have continued. And to me, that makes them a member of Genesis. And they're not recognized as such. That's a very good point, and they should definitely be honored as members in that way. When you're helping keep a band afloat, you are a member. You're with somebody that long, you're more than just an employee. I agree 100%. Didn't mean to make it a bummer at the end of the episode because I really enjoy talking about all this music that I love so much. Mm -hmm. And I know that you do too. I do. I love it. And something else I picked up listening to a lot of the early Genesis in preparation for this episode is that you can hear in Kate Bush's early music the influence of early Genesis, early Pink Floyd, yes, and some of the early progressive 
of bands as well. And she did a wonderful job tying the classical into that in a way that they never did because their musical styles were so different. Also, some of the other big guitar players who have claimed Steve Hackett as a major influence include Alex Lifeson, Brian May, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Harris of Maiden, Simple Minds, Echo and the Bunnyman guitarist Will Sargent, Trey Anastasio of Fish claims Hackett and Genesis is a major influence. The Human League also cites Genesis as a major influence. Well, thank God for that. But think about it. With all of the brilliant keyboard work that they did, bands like Genesis influenced the synthesizer sound of the new wave in oh, Britain sure. without a kidding? doubt. Oh, That's yeah. That's one of my biggest points about my rave about Tony Banks is that he was trying everything. If there was something new, he was giving it a run. He put forth soundscapes that we hadn't heard before when working with rhythms and everything else in different ways. This is one of the unique facets of what Genesis was at the beginning, developed along the way, and becomes even bigger as in the next phase. Well, if you've got something you'd like to add to the story we're telling about the early days of Genesis, all you got to do is send us an email to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. We post all the episodes on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. So if you see the episode, click right there or just find it wherever you get your podcast, which should be just about everywhere by now. Right, Marcus? Yep. We are on pretty much every single solitary podcast platform that is out there. Doggy. Thanks to our sponsors, Boldfoot Socks and Crooked Eye Brewery. And until the next time we gather in the Dark Duck Studios on the Pantheon Podcast Network, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.